Today is Monday, January the 22nd. It's the Feast of St. Vincent Pallotti. Let's begin this hour praying a prayer of his. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, it is your will that all should be saved. Great is your mercy. Your Son, Jesus Christ, died for all. Teach all people to recognize you and love you. With deep faith in Christ's death and resurrection, we pray, send forth, O Lord, laborers into your vineyard and spare your people. Eternal Word, Redeemer of all creation, convert all souls to you. You have been obedient for all, even death on the cross. Look upon the merits of your mother and of all the angels and saints who intercede for us. Send forth, O Lord, laborers into your vineyard and spare your people. O Holy Spirit, through the infinite merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, enkindle in all hearts your ardent love that can do all things, that all may be one fold and one shepherd, and that all may arrive in heaven to sing your divine mercy. Queen of Apostles and all the angels and saints, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning and welcome to this Monday edition of the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Anna Mitchell coming to you from the studios of Sacred Heart Catholic Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Paul Lockman at the controls for us. Travis Smith running the video feed that you can find at our website, sunrisemorningshow.com. Matt is sick today. Say a prayer for his Quick recovery, although he did leave us with one conversation to share with you today, that with our Catholic historian, Kevin Schmiesing, taking a look at this week in Catholic history. Kind of an apropos prayer uh, from St. Vincent Pallotti today that all may be saved because uh, we're going to be talking about, well, those who aren't saved, um, the existence, the reality of hell with actually two guests this hour, Father Patrick Briscoe of our Sunday Visitor, commenting specifically on um, some uh, comments that Pope Francis made recently about how he would like to think or would like to hope that hell is empty. And then Father John Gavin will be taking a look at uh, at what the church teaches about the existence of hell in the catechism and looking at a quote from the Roman Missal taken from St. Gregory the Great, one of our church fathers. So all of that. And then we'll wrap things up with Father Frank Donio this hour from the Catholic Apostolate Center talking about his founder, St. Vincent Pallotti, on his feast day. Hope you can stick around for the entire hour ahead. Right now it's three minutes past and it's time for news. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is now dropping out of the race for the White House and endorsing former President Trump. DeSantis made it official yesterday with a video posted on X, formerly Twitter. DeSantis was considered a frontrunner early on, but finished a distant second in the Iowa caucuses and was polling in single digits ahead of tomorrow's key New Hampshire primary. The GOP race is now essentially a two-person battle between Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who served as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations during the Trump administration. 
Pope Francis has called for the release of a group of people, including six religious sisters kidnapped in Haiti. The Holy Father asked for their release during his Angelus address yesterday. The Holy Father also prayed for peace in the country. Later in the day, the Holy Father made reference to the recent violence in Ecuador, telling the crowd in St. Peter's Square he was praying for peace in that country as well. During his catechesis at the Angelus Address, the Holy Father reflected on the Sunday Gospel and encouraged the faithful to witness to the faith with joy. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. Like the Lord had much patience with his disciples, he has that patience with us. Nevertheless, we are just as called upon to witness through our joy and our lives how beautiful it is to love Jesus. Il Signore ama coinvolgerci Recalling how calling upon others to join his mission was one of the first things Jesus does at the beginning of his public life, the Pope said this is the Lord's wish to involve us in his work of salvation. The Pope observed that he includes us and included his disciples in this endeavor despite all our limitations. The Pope said let us look at how much patience he had with his disciples. Yet he highlighted Jesus chose them and continued to believe in them. In fact, bringing God's salvation to all was Jesus' greatest happiness, the Pope said. In every word and action with which we unite ourselves to him, he noted, light and joy are multiplied, and we become people with expanded hearts, eager to love as God loves and to bring hope and salvation to all. To proclaim the gospel, Pope Francis went on to insist, is not wasted time. He said each of us has received a call to evangelize in the state of life in which we find ourselves. Let us then ask ourselves, he continued, do I pause every now and then to remember the joy that grew in me and around me when I accepted the call to know and witness Jesus? And when I pray, do I thank the Lord for having called me to make others happy? Finally, do I wish to make someone taste through my testimony and my joy how beautiful it is to love Jesus? I'm Deborah Castellano-Luboff. Unseasonably warm temperatures are forecast for much of the United States this week. Highs could reach into the 60s and 70s in the south just a week after record lows. The rapid warming brings A risk of flooding for parts of the West Coast, the South, and the Ohio Valley as snow and ice begin to melt. The Pentagon says several American service members were injured during a missile attack on an airbase in western Iraq. Officials claim Iranian-backed militants launched ballistic missiles at the Al-Assad airbase on Saturday. U.S. Central Command says most of the missiles were intercepted, but some hit the base Several U.S. troops were reportedly being evaluated for possible brain injuries. Meanwhile, the U.S. military is ending a 10-day search for two Navy SEALs who went missing in the waters of the Gulf of Aden. Mark Mayfield has more. The two are now presumed dead with recovery operations now underway. They went into the water January the 11th during a nighttime mission. The U.S., Japan, and Spain took part in the search, which spanned over 21,000 square miles off the coast of Somalia. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the conference championship games have been set in the NFL playoffs following an epic weekend in divisional round football. The action began on Saturday when the AFC's top-seeded Ravens put on an impressive second half to dispatch the Houston Texans 34-10. The nightcap featured the NFC's number one-ranked 49ers pulling out a fourth-quarter comeback against the Green Bay Packers in a 24-21 win. 
yesterday. Started with a battle in the Motor City where the Lions put on their own impressive fourth quarter in a 31-23 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in Sunday night football, the defending champion Chiefs edged the Buffalo Bills 27-24. So, championship Sunday next weekend. San Francisco hosting Detroit and Baltimore hosting Kansas City. Congratulations, everybody. Should be a fun weekend to watch. I will certainly be watching. But I'm sorry that I don't have Matt here to have any of his commentary on it. We'll see what he says later this week because, of course, we'll look ahead. But anyway, today is Monday, January the 22nd, the Feast of St. Vincent Pilati. Also the Feast of St. Vincent of Saragossa, the deacon, early church deacon. So two St. Vincents on the calendar today. And of course, also the uh, anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, which thankfully has been overturned. Right now, it's nine minutes past. Matt? We're joined now by Kevin Schmeising. He's the author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. And we're taking a look at this week in Catholic history. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Today we get to talk about one of the most fascinating Jesuit missionaries of all time. Tell us about him. I agree with you, Matt. His name's Matteo Ricci. He was just declared venerable by Pope Francis in 2022, and a major event in his life and his ministry took place this week in 1601. Ricci was born in central Italy, the Papal States at the time, in 1552. That was the same year as the death of the Jesuit missionary, St. Francis Xavier. While studying law in Rome, Ricci decided to to join the Society of Jesus. This was a golden era of Jesuit science. Matt, you and I have talked about many of the figures in that period before. Among those Ricci studied with was the mathematician and astronomer Christopher Clavius. Recall also that Francis Xavier, after evangelizing in India and Japan, had died on an island off the coast of China. His aspiration had been to preach the gospel in that vast empire. Ricci inherited this vision He requested a missionary post in the East and got his start in 1578 in Goa, the capital of Portuguese India. A few years later, he traveled to Macau, the Portuguese colony at the doorstep of China, and with another Jesuit, Ricci began his efforts in the city of Guangzhou in 1583. When his companion was called back to Europe, Ricci became the primary, sometimes the sole, missionary in the Chinese apostolate. Evangelization was a delicate business in China. There was extreme skepticism toward Western ideas. Ricci ingratiated himself by his use of scientific instruments and by sharing knowledge of geography and other disciplines. He worked in various places in southern China, proposing Christian ideas, debating Buddhist leaders. Sometimes he was welcomed, sometimes rejected. His crowning achievement came when he was almost 50, when he was permitted to live in Beijing. That was the capital city of the empire. He had visited Beijing briefly in 1598, but left when it was clear there were no prospects for success. The second time would be different. Ricci entered the city ceremoniously this week, January 24th, 1601. He spent the rest of his life there, and although the beginnings were modest, he did bring hundreds of Chinese to the faith and laid the foundation for future missionary activity. Matteo Ricci died in 1610, nine years after entering Beijing this week in 1601. Well, since we've been talking about a Jesuit, why don't we talk about a whole group of Jesuits in the United States? Yeah, all Jesuits this morning, Matt. This is the founding of the first Catholic university in the U.S., Georgetown, this week in 1789. Although it technically wasn't Jesuits who started it. 
John Carroll had been a Jesuit priest, but the order was suppressed in the 1770s, so he became secular or diocesan. Carroll was the leading figure, but not quite yet the first bishop in the U.S. in early 1789, when he purchased a one-acre plot of farmland on a hilltop in the town of Georgetown along the Potomac River. The date for Carroll's reception of the deed for this property, January 23rd, this week in 1789, is commonly recognized as the founding date of Georgetown University. Shortly thereafter, Congress created the Federal District of Columbia, and Georgetown, along with its college, would be incorporated into the capital city of the U.S. The original college building, Old South, stood for over 100 years until it was replaced in 1904. It was ready for students by 1792 when the first enrollees arrived. The very first name on the list is William Gaston, a North Carolina Catholic who rose to prominence as a member of Congress and the state Supreme Court. There have since that time been many notable graduates in many fields, but especially government and politics, including a U.S. president, number 42, Bill Clinton. The college's first presidents were two priests who had, like Carol, been Jesuits. Then in 1805, the Society of Jesus was restored in the United States, and the following year, a Jesuit priest became Georgetown's president. It's been a Jesuit institution ever since and was always led by a Jesuit priest until 2001, when the first lay president was appointed. Georgetown University, this week, 1789. And uh, one of these days, we'll get a whole history on why they're called the Hoyas, because I've never quite understood it, but who knows? <laughs> Unless you know off the top of your head, I don't know what a Hoya is, but I'm sure um, someone does. That's a good question, Matt. Don't know the answer. <laughs> well, one of these days. In the meantime, please do go check out Kevin's book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Matt. You too. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Matt. Apparently, I'm just looking this up. A Hoya is a plant. It's a flower. I don't know. Anyway. Let's take a look at weather across the nation. The central United States will be getting ice and rain. Much of the plains and Midwest will have the right conditions for freezing rain today. From southern Oklahoma up into the mid-Mississippi Valley, ice accumulation will be occurring. The areas who see the greatest accumulation will be in eastern Oklahoma, northwestern Arkansas, and southern Missouri. These storms will spread up into the Great Lakes overnight. Elsewhere, the southern plains will across the southern plains and spreading into the lower Mississippi Valley. Heavy rain is expected. Scattered light snow showers will be possible across the northern plains and Great Lakes as well, but the rest of the country will stay dry, including the entire east coast and the high plains. On the west coast, meanwhile, another round of storms brings rain and snow up and down the coast throughout the day. Scattered rain and snow showers will also spread inland toward the desert southwest, the Great Basins, the Four Corners, and the interior Northwest. We got headlines coming up next. It's quarter past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity Health Share can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. 
Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN is the global Catholic network. Seventeen past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is now dropping out of the race for the White House and has endorsed former President Trump. Pope Francis has called for the release of a group of people, including six religious sisters who were kidnapped in Haiti. He did so during his Angelus address yesterday. And the Holy Father has announced a year of prayer ahead of the 2025 Jubilee. Next newscast coming up at the bottom of the hour, about 12, 13 minutes from now, as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So I mentioned at the top of the hour today, the uh, 51st anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. Of course, we as pro-lifers celebrating the overturn, although, as we know, Uh, With the issue going back to the states, there's still quite a bit of work to do, um, including in this way, which would be calling out secular media and how they uh, talk about this issue. So I'm going to read you a story that came from my newswire this morning. It says, Democrats are starting up an abortion rights campaign this week on the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade overturned by the Supreme Court in 2022. So far, so good. Then it says, the court's decision took away the constitutional right to an abortion and left the matter up to the states. Now, what is wrong with that sentence? The court's decision took away the constitutional right to an abortion. Ladies and gentlemen, There was never, and (laughs) there is not, and there never was a constitutional right to an abortion. Um, You could say that the Supreme Court back in 1973 um, found, and I don't even think found is is the right word, um, created, imagined, a right to an abortion um, implicit in the wording of the Constitution. 
But there is no constitutional right to an abortion. Now, in the states, they are starting to the, – the abortion rights advocates are now creating rights to an abortion in, in state constitutions. But the U.S. Constitution says nothing about abortion. And honestly, there is nothing in the U.S. Constitution that alludes to a right for a woman to kill an unborn child for any reason up to viability. Roe v. Wade just – pulled that one out of thin air. Why do you think it was overturned? So anyway, don't let people try to tell you that there was a constitutional right to an abortion. Ask them where it is. Where is it? Where was it? So anyway, still much work to do in terms of, um, but as Ken Craycraft was saying last week, We shouldn't even be talking about this in terms of rights, but that's a whole other conversation. It's 21 past. Owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. Leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. One of the words that can be used to describe the person of St. Paul is gratitude. In each of his letters, he expresses gratitude to God for making him a minister, and he is grateful to all who received his message of Christ with an open heart. Paul knows that he's not alone in this world. His thoughts and prayers were filled with the faces of the persons he met and served, and who in turn served and loved him. Paul writes to the Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of salvation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul was grateful that Jesus Christ revealed himself to him, and even more grateful that Jesus used Paul to carry out this message, which enlightens all the people in the truth. Paul knew that what he received free of charge, he needed to pass on free of charge. The kindness expressed by every person is a sign of the kindness of God. We can pass on this kindness through the simple use of two words, thank you. Our thanks acknowledges the value, and by recognizing the value of that gift, we acknowledge the value of the person giving it and the presence of Christ in them. And we begin to see why gratitude is so important in the heart of St. Paul. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Patrick Briscoe, the editor of our Sunday Visitor. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. You know, another week, another uh, controversial comment from Pope Francis. Uh, He made quite a bit of stir recently with a comment um, about... Hell. Can you tell us what he had to say, first of all? Yeah, absolutely. So the Holy Father was interviewed recently at length. Uh, so the interview took place on January 14th, and it was on an Italian uh, TV channel. And in the course of the interview, the interviewer asked the Holy Father, 
how he imagines hell, how he imagines hell. And so the Pope responded saying, it's difficult to imagine it. He added, what I would say is not a dogma of faith, but my personal thought, I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is. Hmm. Okay, so that's what actually happened. That's what we actually have the Holy Father saying. But subsequently, a lot of Catholic commentators, um, people responding on social media, uh, had a, a very um, heartfelt, very, very loud conversation, as it were, about the nature of hell and whether or not the Pope declared hell empty. Do you think the Pope declared hell empty? No, I think that's an unjust reading of, of what the Holy Father said. I, I think in this case, actually, Pope Francis's words were reasonably clear and were distorted intentionally. Okay, so what would be the difference between believing that hell is empty and hoping that hell is empty? Right, exactly. So here, if we look at if we look what the Holy Father said, I mean, and, and again, this isn't even really parsing the words. The Pope said, I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is, meaning I, I want it to be. Yeah. And I think shouldn't that we all want it a, to be empty? Yeah, exactly. There's a way in which this <laughs> that, that we're all called to we're all called to have that same thought. And even the Lord, in His giving of grace, um, disposes us all to respond to Him um, in in a way uh, such that He doesn't long for any of us to go to hell. God does not want anyone uh, to abandon Him. God wants everyone to be saved. Okay, so that's a, that's a fundamental. It's the fundamental point of the invitation of life uh, in our Heavenly Father's offer by the Lord Jesus. So, so at the beginning, we we, do, we don't want to say that there's anyone marked for hell, that there's anyone uh, who's who's condemned for hell from the outset. Um, but sure. it is likely, though, that uh, even though we hope, even though we hope hell is empty, that there are probably people there. So there's a difference between saying, "I hope hell is empty." And I think it probably is. Hmm. Are we? Yeah. Well, that was kind of leads me to my next question, which is um, a question that actually got asked of me um, just a couple of days ago. Are we allowed to believe that hell is empty? So this is a little bit more controversial. Mm -hmm. um, there are some. Uh, there are some who hold that at the end of time, all things will be reconciled in Christ and hell will be emptied. That has never been the mainstream Christian position, so that's a position called universalism. Um, it was advanced by Church Fathers like Origen um, and has so, been held by some others. In the modern era, universalism has become more and more popular, but again, that was never the, the mainstream, that was never the majority Christian position. And, and I would caution people from holding it because of the obvious um, import it has on evangelization. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because actually, I think a lot of people want to hold on to this hope and or belief because we all, Father, have a lot of loved ones who don't go to church, they've fallen away, probably live in objectively sinful situations, maybe all of the above here, but they're you know, they're nice people. They believe God exists, even if he's not some huge part of their lives. It's, 
is that loved one really going to go to hell at the end of this? Yeah, absolutely. So one can easily see why it's an attractive view. I mean, of course, ultimately, we don't know how the Lord is going to judge. Uh, he judges. We don't. Um, mm-hmm. So on the last day, that that will fall to him. I mean, there are certain passages of Jesus in Scripture that give, that give us caution. Um, so I'm thinking, for example, of Matthew 25, where the Lord gives us the corporal works of mercy. And he, he reminds us that as we've done to the least of these, so we've done to him, right? And to those who have failed to um, give a drink to those who thirst, to give food to those who are hungry, etc., those who have failed in the corporal works of mercy, Jesus says, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Mm. Uh, so, so it appears in this and in other passages of the Gospels, where it's pretty clear that Jesus is going to, according to his mind, not ours, according to his mind, not ours, uh, separate us according to what we've done and what we failed to do. Mm-hmm. I have heard from another priest, though, Father, just to kind of end on on a bit of a hopeful note here, um, that that deathbed conversions are actually a lot more numerous than than we might think they are. Has that been your experience as a priest? They uh, certainly uh, they're very powerful receiving receiving the sacraments. Uh, so this is this is a good moment to say uh, for, for for anyone listening for their family members, do not wait to call a priest to receive yeah. final sacraments to be anointed to make a last confession, and then apart from those moments, we we don't we don't know what kind of movements of heart happen in those those last moments of life. And so between the sacraments and those last moments of life, there are very powerful opportunities for conversion. Amen to that. Go read Father Patrick's piece on this over at OurSundayVisitor.com, linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Father, appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'll always come on to talk about hell on Monday morning when you have to be You know, I really appreciate it, Father. I really do. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks. You do. All right. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is dropping out of the race for the White House and has endorsed former President Trump in the race. DeSantis made it official yesterday with a video posted on X. DeSantis was considered a frontrunner early on but finished a distant second in the Iowa caucus and was polling in single digits ahead of tomorrow's key New Hampshire primary. The GOP race is now essentially a two-person battle between Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who served as U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. during the Trump administration. Haley is hoping to receive a boost at the ballot box now. The former South Carolina governor held a rally yesterday at a New Hampshire high school auditorium with television host Judge Judy Scheindlin. While Haley is still polling far behind Trump in the polls, the DeSantis announcement yesterday seemed to energize her campaign just before the primary in the Granite State. The Trump campaign has released a statement following the endorsement of DeSantis. Mark Mayfield reports. The statement called the endorsement an honor, saying it is time for all Republicans to rally around the former president. It went on to say that Nikki Haley is the candidate of the globalists and Democrats who will do everything to stop the America First movement. DeSantis dropped out and endorsed former President Trump Sunday. He was considered a frontrunner early on, but finished a distant second in the Iowa caucus. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis is calling for the release of a group of people, including six religious sisters, kidnapped in Haiti. 
The, pump, the Pope asked for their release during his weekly Angelus at the Vatican yesterday. He also prayed for peace in the country later in the day, made reference to the recent violence in Ecuador as well. The Holy Father has announced a year of prayer ahead of the 2025 Jubilee during his Angelus address. He said the year of prayer is dedicated to, quote, rediscovering the great value and absolute need for prayer, prayer in personal life, in the life of the church, prayer in the world, end quote. There will be materials coming from the Dicastery for Evangelization to help with celebrating this year of prayer. The Holy Father celebrated Mass in St. Peter's Basilica yesterday to mark the Sunday of the Word of God. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Lord's Word unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit, the Pope said, a power that draws people to God. That Word draws us to God and then sends us to others, the Pope explained, as it makes our hearts and minds grow, showing us new and exciting horizons of hope and love that we naturally wish to share with others. Pope explained how we too, on our own shores of life, where we're occupied with the nets of our daily occupations, need to hear the Lord's call to set out with Him as missionaries, God's messengers and witnesses to a world drowning in words, yet thirsting for the very word it so often ignores. He said the Church lives from this dynamic called by Christ and drawn to him. She is sent into the world to bear witness to him. Recalling how the saints down through the centuries opened their hearts and minds to God's word, letting it touch them and renew their soul with the peace of Jesus and concern for others, the Pope suggested we too can be moved in a similar way if we stop being deaf to God's word. In conclusion, the Pope suggested we look at our own lives and how much we make room for the Word of God in it. Do we read the Bible? Do we have a gospel nearby, in our pockets and purses, on our telephones? He encouraged everyone to read at least one of the four gospels and to help the congregation present in St. Peter's Basilica, a gospel of Mark was distributed to all. In conclusion, the Pope underscored that God is the author of beauty, and he prayed that we might allow ourselves to be conquered by the beauty that the Word of God brings into our lives. And that is Jones. Unseasonably warm temperatures are forecast for much of the U.S. this week. Highs could reach into the 60s and 70s in the south just a week after record lows. The rapid warmings do bring a risk of flooding to parts of the West Coast, the South, and the Ohio Valley as snow and ice give way. That's the news. It's 35. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Do the sacraments always give grace? The sacraments do always give grace if we receive them with the right dispositions. Consider this, does food always nourish us? Well, the food can nourish us, and yet sometimes, perhaps, my body is unable to assimilate it. In this case, there's nothing wrong with the food, but there's something wrong with the eater. And it's just the same as with the sacraments. At times, we can receive what is truly nourishing, but it doesn't nourish us. If we've received the sacrament of the Eucharist without confessing our mortal sins, then we are no longer able to receive the grace that it naturally conveys. Let us then prepare to have the right disposition for receiving the Eucharist, going to our fast, and also preparing ourselves by means of confessing our sins when it's necessary. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We're joined again on the Sunrise Morning Show by Father John Gavin, author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. Good morning, Father. Hello? Father, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have you back. Oh, so okay. we cut off there for a second. Yeah, we, I, I don't think Paul turned up the phone. Okay. quite too much i'm gonna blame him he's looking at me like we're here we're here we're here together and we are happy to have you back so we're continuing our series on church fathers quoted in the catechism of the catholic church and we've looked recently at death heaven and purgatory and so now it is time to talk about hell and we'll be reading from paragraph 1037 in the catechism which is um yeah the last of the paragraphs uh, devoted to talking about hell. So before we get to reading that paragraph, though, Father, can you talk about um, what does the catechism teach about hell in the preceding paragraphs? Well, in the preceding paragraphs, first of all, uh, the catechism affirms the Church's teaching regarding hell and eternity, that is, uh, to die in the state of mortal sin, as it states, is, is uh, hell is the state of mortal sin when which one suffers eternal punishment, right? Mm -hmm. And the chief of that is separation from God. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's something that, as it says, should call us to the responsibility incumbent on us to make use of our freedom in view of our eternal destiny, right? I mean, to meditate on hell... Uh, as we do with what were called the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, uh, is on the one hand, therefore, meant to lead us to thanksgiving to Christ, uh, that he has won for us this hope for our salvation, right? But at the same time, to awaken us to the importance of living our lives of faith, uh, and that we are facing a great choice in our lives, right? Uh, the resurrection to life or the resurrection to death. And of course, you know, Christ has given us that hope, He has given us the grace, but at the same time, God respects our freedom before uh, that choice of the resurrection to life or the resurrection to death. And so here is paragraph 1037. The Catechism says, 
God predestines no one to go to hell. For this, a willful turning away from God, a mortal sin is necessary and persistence in it until the end. In the Eucharistic liturgy and in the daily prayers of her faithful, the church implores the mercy of God, who does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And here the quote, therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family, order our days in your peace, and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Now that that uh, prayer that I just read is is not a church father quote per se, but from mm. the Roman Missal in the Eucharistic prayer. Can you talk about uh, where this comes from? Sure. So this comes from what would now be Eucharistic prayer number one, which is based on the Roman canon, the oldest uh, canon that we have in the celebration of the Mass. And if we look at where it's placed within the Roman canon, when we come to the consecration of the bread and wine, we see this is the prayer that's known in Latin as a hunk igitur, uh, it comes from the first two words of the prayer, therefore. Uh, it, um, and this takes place after what is called the commemoratio providis, prayers for the living, and what's called the infra actionum, which within the action, which is an invocation of the saints, recognizing that the saints are present with us in the celebration of the sacred liturgy, but also uh, that what we desire is to share that eternal union with God that they already share. And it is just before the, uh, the what we call the epiclesis, the uh, prayer in which the priest holds his hands over the offerings, and then the actual consecration, the bread and wine. So it, it is an old prayer. Uh, its current form is uh, it's changed over the years, but it's especially attributed to Pope uh, Gregory the Great, mm. so the 7th century. But it's much older than that. Uh, in fact, at one time, some scholars believe it even contained uh, a place for the prayers for the dead. Mm. So it's a central part of, uh, of the Roman canon. Okay, so... Talk about this word oblation. We're asking the Lord to graciously accept this oblation of our service in order that he could then command that we be delivered from eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I mean, what, and it, it says, of course, the, uh, of our service, the, the one who is celebrating the Mass, the priest in uh, Persona Christi, but then we hear of your whole family, yeah. right? Uh, that of all who are present and even those who are participating spiritually as well, right? And this oblation, obviously, first and foremost, this offering is what is being offered on the altar. That is, it will be uh, this very gift of Christ's body and blood, right? Christ himself. Uh, But at the same time, the priest and all present are making the offering of themselves, their very lives, because what they receive in the Eucharist, in turn, is meant to be that act of thanksgiving, Eucharist, in their very lives, the very offering of who they are. And so it's, it's a very uh, special prayer at this point in the liturgy in which we should, all of us present at the Mass, be making that offering on the altar with the very gift that God gives us to offer, that is 
uh, Christ himself. Isn't that what, you know, we, we talk about, like, bringing up the gifts, that, that mm. offertory time? That's actually when we're supposed to be starting into that offering of ourselves. That's not just a time to put money in the basket and watch, no. you know, the cute kids walk up with the bread and wine for father. Like, that's supposed to be our time to to begin that offering of ourselves. Absolutely. That's a, that's a wonderful way to put it. And I think it's something that we all should be conscious of throughout the Mass, right? Uh, I mean, these are these uh, special moments, but uh, that in every celebration of the Eucharist, uh, we're not just spectators, right? Mm-hmm. But we are actually praying the liturgy and making that offering of ourselves throughout, and also opening ourselves to receive, to receive the tremendous gift that uh, is given to us to transform us, to form us in Christ, transformation in Christ. And that we're praying for everyone, right? All of us to be saved from eternal damnation. You know, there's that, that you get, somebody makes you mad and you tell them to go to hell. Like, that's not mm. really what we want here. Not at all. And not only that, we see this uh, prayer to be delivered from eternal damnation, but then there's also the positive movement to be counted among the flock of Christ, right, Uh, to be united with him. To be saved from eternal damnation is to receive the greatest gift for which we were created, to share in the very life of God. And that's what we are preparing to do with this Eucharistic prayer, right? I mean, what is the role of the Eucharist in saving us from eternal damnation. <laughs> the role of the Eucharist, of course, is that we receive the very, in receiving the very body and blood of Christ, is just as when we receive food, that food becomes part of us. In the Eucharist, we become assimilated to the food that is mm-hmm. to Christ himself. And really, to be saved from damnation, uh, the hope is to be transformed in Christ. Uh, this is what takes place in the Eucharist uh, in every celebration. And that's exactly what God wants, right, Father? I mean, hell exists because we choose it, not because he chooses it. Right, exactly. And that, again, uh, hell is, to reflect on hell and to pray for liberation from hell, it should be awakening experience for us every time, awakening to the hope before us, right, but also awakening us to the fact that we need to, when we receive the Eucharist, live out that gift fully uh, so that we may be part of that flock of the Lord. For sure. We've been talking to Father John Gavin, and you can find his book, Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. God bless. You too, Father. Thank you. All right, it's uh, 13 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with Father Frank Donio to talk about one of today's saints, St. Vincent Pilate, the founder of his order. Stay with us. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. 
It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. You know, we talk story with each of our very unique guests for the whole hour so that you can go deep with us as you yourself pursue your own story of heroic virtue and as you pursue intimacy with God. The Bear Wozniak Adventure, Saturday night, 6 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Carla Broussard with the wise of Catholic belief. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has announced he is dropping out of the Republican race for the White House and has endorsed former President Trump in that race. Pope Francis, during his Angelus address yesterday, called for the release of a group of people, including six religious sisters kidnapped in Haiti. And Holy Father also has announced a year of prayer ahead of the 2025 Jubilee. Next newscast in about 12-ish minutes as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 10 till. Happy to welcome back Father Frank Donio from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Anna. How are you? I am doing just fine and happy to have you back. Now, January 22nd is the feast of the founder of your order, St. Vincent Pilati a native Roman, what was his early life like and how did it influence his eventual pursuit of a vocation to the priesthood? His early life was a real challenge. When you look at, he was born in 1795, and the first 20 years of his life was really revolutionary Rome. 1798, there was a a revolution that drove out Pope Pius VI, and it was a result of pieces of the French Revolution now hitting into Italy. And so he dies in exile, Pope Pius VI. Uh, Pope Pius VII is elected, eventually comes back to Rome when that revolution's put down. But then he's taken by Napoleon in 1809 and is kept uh, in protective custody, quote-unquote, until 1814 when he returns to Rome. So for almost until Pilates, like 19, 20 years old, and he's ordained in 1818, he sees this going on. He sees Catholics throwing off their faith as a result of, and taking on revolutionary views. And instead, he starts to think to himself, no, I need to give myself to Christ. I need to help to bring about, and he had around him, 
of various mentors, uh, including St. Gaspar de Buffalo, the, the founder of the Precious Blood, and even uh, later, one of the younger companions of his was, was the later Pius IX. And they, they did charitable works around the city. They built up one another. They had these spiritual friendships. And the amazing thing was is that when he, once he became a priest, he started to really work with seminarians, with other priests, and later, particularly with lay people. Yeah, I want to ask you about uh, the laity in just a minute here. But first of all, I mean— in terms of his pastoral priorities, where did unity of Christians uh, land? Well, he saw that everybody should be under one fold under one shepherd. He was not pleased with the division. Now, he wouldn't have been uh, a uh, have an understanding as we had, uh, particularly in the 20th century and after the Second Vatican Council and its teachings. His understanding of Christian unity was drawing all together in the Church. But there was a period where, you know, even with the Eastern rites of the Church, that wasn't well known. And he came to know from his work, particularly in the Pontifical Urban College and, and in the Propaganda Fide, um, his, his understanding of the, the world's missions. So instead of, he didn't go out from, from Rome in his ministry. He was born, lived, did his ministry, died, all in the city center of Rome. But he had all the world came to him, um, and he, he, he had a greater understanding of all of these different Eastern rites of the Church, and he prayed greatly for deeper, Christian, uh, deeper unity uh, of all under one fold and one shepherd, and he saw that within the Catholic Church. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the special observance of the octave of Epiphany that he began? Yes, in 1836, right after he founded what was called the Union of Catholic Apostles, a group of lay people, religious and clergy who did charitable works in and around the city of Rome, assisted the missions, and revived the faith of Catholics. A year later, he uh, created what was called this Octave of the Epiphany, what really was a liturgical octave. Prior to the Second Vatican Council and the liturgical reforms, uh, there was an octave, eight days, just after, just like we have after Christmas, after Easter, after Epiphany. And during that time, he would have the different Eastern rites of the Church do their particular sacred liturgy and draw people into preaching and greater understanding of the diversity and yet the unity of the Church. You, you mentioned the Union of Catholic Apostolate. What led him to found that? What led him to found that, he was 40 years old, and he had an inspiration on January 9, 1835, that, that he was called to found this group of lay people, uh, religious and clergy, who would go about in holy cooperation or collaboration with one another, that they would be co-responsible and recognize that they're all called to go about the apostolic work of the Church. Now, this was a pretty radical idea, particularly to have lay people involved with this. And, uh, and this group assisted the missions internationally, revived the faith of Catholics. That was a key part of it. And also did universal charity. So reviving faith and rekindling charity. Pilates saw everybody as an apostle. Everybody who was, who was a, uh, in, in a, a, a member of the Christian faithful would be an, a, could, could be an apostle. Now, again, this too was a radical idea. 
in, in its day. And yet, Pilate was very involved uh, with uh, two different papacies, with Gregory the Sixteenth and with Pius the Ninth, and was very well received uh, by by the official church. So he's not considered uh, off on his own. But this aspect was was new and different. And so many of his understandings were actually folded into the decree on the Apostle of the Laity, which uh, in the Second Vatican Council, because St. John Paul II and the general of the Palatines, uh, Palatine Fathers and Brothers, uh, Father Muller, together worked on that, on that document. And so many of his ideas, even his understanding of, of Mary as Queen of Apostles, is in that document. Wow. Stuff you never knew. Thank you so much, Father Frank Donio. You can find the Catholic Apostolate Center linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. There is a uh, Pilate portal there that you can check out if you want to learn more about St. Vincent Pilate. Today, also the feast of St. Vincent of Saragossa, the deacon for whom he may have been named, in fact. St. Vincent and St. Vincent, pray for us. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show up next for most of our affiliates on EWTN Radio. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. We're continuing our way on this Monday, January the 22nd, the Feast of St. Vincent of Saragossa, the Feast of St. Vincent Pilate. So let's begin this hour praying the collect from Mass today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, our Creator, we give thanks to you who alone have the power to impart the breath of life as you form each of us in our mother's womb. Grant, we pray, that we whom you have made stewards of creation may remain faithful to this sacred trust and constant in safeguarding the dignity of every human life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever, amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, and welcome to Hour 2 of the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Anna Mitchell, coming to you from the studios of Sacred Heart Catholic Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Matt Swaim is sick today. Say a prayer for his quick recovery so we can have him back hopefully tomorrow, but at least some point this week. Paul Lockman at the controls for us. Travis Smith is running the video feed, which you can watch at sunrisemorningshow.com. Go find our YouTube channel. Teresa Tamia will be joining us this hour. She, of course, was uh, Part of the live coverage from EWTN of the March for Life on Friday and on this anniversary and national day of prayer for protection of unborn life here in the United States. Uh, We'll talk to her about that, uh, get her thoughts from Friday's big event. 
We'll catch up with Marlon De La Torre this hour from Knowing is Doing. We're talking about the book of Sirach with Dr. Andrew Swafford in our continuing Old Testament Bible study using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. And then we'll wrap things up for the hour and for the day here on EWTN with Stephanie Mann. And uh, we've been going through Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's book, Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors. And uh, today we're actually not talking about a specific person. We're going to be talking about the experience of recusant Catholics in the English Reformation period, um, how they experienced Mass. How did they get to have Mass at all? We got a letter from a missionary priest to discuss today with Stephanie. Hope you can stick around for the entire hour ahead. Right now it's three minutes past and news is a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. The GOP race for the presidential nominee is now down to essentially a two-person race. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out and endorsed former President Trump yesterday. DeSantis had been considered a frontrunner early on but finished a distant second in Iowa. That leaves only for former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley as the remaining candidate against Trump with the New Hampshire primary less than 24 hours away. Pope Francis has called for the release of a group of people, including six religious sisters kidnapped in Haiti. The Holy Father asked for their release during his Angelus address yesterday. The Holy Father also prayed for peace in Haiti. Later on, he made reference to the recent violence in Ecuador, telling the crowd in St. Peter's Square that he was praying for peace in that country as well. In his catechesis, the Holy Father reflected on yesterday's gospel, encouraging the faithful to witness the faith with joy. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. Like the Lord had much patience with his disciples, he has that patience with us. Nevertheless, we are just as called upon to witness through our joy and our lives how beautiful it is to love Jesus. Il Signore ama coinvolgerci Recalling how calling upon others to join his mission was one of the first things Jesus does at the beginning of his public life, the Pope said this is the Lord's wish to involve us in his work of salvation. The Pope observed that he includes us and included his disciples in this endeavor despite all our limitations. The Pope said let us look at how much patience he had with his disciples. Yet he highlighted Jesus chose them and continued to believe in them. Ha continuato a credere in loro. In fact, bringing God's salvation to all was Jesus' greatest happiness, the Pope said. In every word and action with which we unite ourselves to him, he noted, light and joy are multiplied, and we become people with expanded hearts, eager to love as God loves and to bring hope and salvation to all. To proclaim the gospel, Pope Francis went on to insist, is not wasted time. He said each of us has received a call to evangelize in the state of life in which we find ourselves. Let us then ask ourselves, he continued, do I pause every now and then to remember the joy that grew in me and around me when I accepted the call to know and witness Jesus? And when I pray, do I thank the Lord for having called me to make others happy? Finally, do I wish to make someone taste through my testimony and my joy how beautiful it is to love Jesus? I'm Deborah Castellano-Luboff. Unseasonably warm temperatures are forecast for much of the United States this week. Highs could reach into the 60s and 70s in the south. 
The rapid warming brings a risk of flooding for parts of the West Coast, the South, and the Ohio Valley as snow and ice begin to melt. The Pentagon says several American service members were injured during a missile attack on an airbase in western Iraq. Officials say Iranian-backed militants launched ballistic missiles at the Al-Assad airbase on Saturday. U.S. Central Command says most of the missiles were intercepted, but some hit the base. Several U.S. troops were reportedly being evaluated for possible brain injuries. Meanwhile, the U.S. military is ending a 10-day search for two Navy SEALs who went missing in the waters of the Gulf of Aden. Mark Mayfield reports. The two are now presumed dead with recovery operations now underway. They went into the water January the 11th during a nighttime mission. The U.S., Japan, and Spain took part in the search, which spanned over 21,000 square miles off the coast of Somalia. I'm Mark Mayfield. Democrats are starting up an abortion campaign this week. Starting today on the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, overturned by the Supreme Court in 2022, leaving the matter up to the states. Vice President Kamala Harris will be in Wisconsin today to talk about what the Biden campaign calls a Republican assault on reproductive rights. She will be joined by President Biden tomorrow in Virginia for another rally. And the conference championship games have been set in the NFL playoffs following the weekend in divisional round football. The Ravens put on an impressive second half to dispatch the Houston Texans 34-10 to 10 on Saturday. The nightcap Saturday was number one ranked 49ers, pulling out a fourth-quarter comeback against the Green Bay Packers to win 24-21. to 21. In the Motor City, the Lions put on their own impressive fourth quarter in a 31-23 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then Sunday night football saw the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs edging the Buffalo Bills 27 to 24. And so, Championship Sunday next weekend, Kansas City visiting Baltimore and San Francisco hosting Detroit. Teresa Tamio is with us. T, how are you feeling? Woohoo, go Lions. Can you I believe know, it? I was so right? excited. Watch the whole game. Although the last couple of plays, again, I did have my hands over my eyes with a blanket <laughs> over my head. <laughs> What do you think? You got a chance against San Francisco? They're pretty we, good. Oh, I, I think we're really, really pumped up. And when you get a team that, that hasn't won, you know, it's been so, so long. And I was just looking at our, our familiar wire service, Metro Source, and they had a bite that I'm going to use in, in my newscast from the former kicker mm-hmm. for the Detroit Lions, Eddie Murray. His daughter is now a cheerleader for the oh. Lions, and they had a cute story with him. So, no, the city is so motivated everybody's just so um you know really geeked up so they, they've been worked they've worked really really hard so i do hope they pull it out yeah it'll be fun i i think that they're probably who i'm rooting for i'm not sure if i believe that they're going to win it all but mm-hmm. it's just so cool you know they were what one of like i don't know how many teams in history have had a year where they had zero wins but they are yeah. the most recent and so it's just really cool to see you know as a Bengals fan I got to feel this fairly recently, a couple of years ago, watching the Bengals get to the AFC Championship and then uh-huh. to the uh, to the uh, Super Bowl, and and it's just such, uh, it just feels so good, doesn't it? So yeah, and there was this well, one young man, one of our players. Of course, they're all so young, right? They're old enough to be probably, in some cases, my, my grandchildren, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but one of the, the young men in the Lions is from uh, Divine Child, which is a wonderful Catholic parish and has a wonderful Catholic school, grade school and high school in southeastern Michigan. Nice. So that's really, that's really nice to see that. And, and he stood there. I forget, Hutchinson is his name. And at the end of the uh, game, yeah. 
when he just stood there and looked around, it was so sweet. I said to Dominic, I said, look at that. He's probably trying to take in this moment. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just very cool. Bob Seger was there, a couple other stars. Jeff Daniels was there. So a lot of the, the big stars from, South, well, from America were at the game who are from southeastern Michigan. So that was cool. Very, very cool. Well, it'll be fun to watch next weekend yeah. for sure. Now, Although we'll be on the cruise ship. We leave for the Good News Cruise on Friday. Oh, my gosh. And it'll be Sunday night. So I wonder how many of the, of the Michigan folks on, on the cruise ship will be in the in the Windjammer Bar or something. Who knows? <laughs> is Father is Father Ricardo on this cruise with no, you? No, Father Ricardo, oh, okay. Father Michael Schmitz this time. Oh, oh well, good. You got the uh, you got the backup in for yeah. uh, Father Ricardo so that he can watch the Lions from oh, home. Oh, he's he's in seventh heaven. His his Michigan Wolverines won. And he's good friends with Coach Jim mm-hmm. and now the Lions. So I'm sure uh, Father John's one happy cookie. I've, I've, we've been texting this week, but <laughs> about other more important things, spiritual things. I didn't ask him about about the uh, the uh, Michigan win or the the impending Lions win, which happened, of course, well, um, yesterday. You don't even need yeah. you don't even need to ask him. You already know. that's true. But anyway, so you had a big weekend today, of course. The 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which Deo Gratias has been overturned, although yep. I think the mood at what would you say was the mood at the March for Life? I mean, we've seen a lot I, of I really felt losses. it was in my my friend told me this and she was watching the coverage all day. A couple of my friends were, you know, texting me and they were really moved by some of the stories. Yeah. They felt it was more joyful. It, it, yeah. I felt that too. And and I was at the obviously at the pre rally. We were on the riser before the rally begins and the young people start gathering, a lot of the groups come and different countries get set up so they can stand in front of the rally stage and be close to all the action and I thought it was really uh, upbeat. Uh, that's what I felt. It was more joyful even though we know that things that we, we've passed a number of abortion bans, and I was just reading um, Father Roger uh, uh, Landry's article in the Register, just checking up on that for my show today. And there's, there have been some victories since Roe v. Wade, but there's also been a lot of defeats. But I just think, Annie, and you know this, we're such a hardy group. We just come at this no matter what. It doesn't yep. matter who's in office. We keep. I mean, obviously, we want pro-life people in office, but we know that at the end of the day. It's not just the laws that are going to make a difference. We have to change hearts. We, yes. That is the, the big end game here. And I think the theme this year, with every woman for every child, that's the bottom line. And all the people I interviewed exhibited that. And there was a, a, a real joy in the work that they're doing. And that no matter what, this is, this is what we're all called to do. And I'm just so proud of people who go year after year. Lewis Brown from Christ Medicus Foundation put mm-hmm. out a beautiful statement. I don't know if you saw it, but talking yeah. about, this is one of the most selfless things that we can do as a movement, because why else would we go? There's no personal benefit for us being there or going to witness to life. And I just wonder, even though I know a lot of the politicians don't pay attention to us, but I wonder what they must be thinking. You've got this staunch abortion person in the White House who claims to be Catholic. You've got all these groups pushing for this, that, and the other thing. Abortion seems to have the upper hand right now. And year after year after year, in the worst weather, I mean, it was bad on Friday. It was cold and snowy oh, and rainy. it was so cold. I Just watching you made me cold. I know. <laughs> I know. At one point, the snow was coming down sideways. I'm like, okay. Wow. This, <laughs> it was crazy. But we keep coming, and we keep going out there, and we keep – and some of the signs of the uh, Register and Catholic News Agency had the coolest articles about some of the most creative signs – so the people took time to get their messages across. It's like it just showed up. The kids have a day off from school where they're in college or high school. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people there are always young people. And they really take it, make an effort to put messages out there that are very unique and very beautiful, not offensive. Every single sign, I've never seen an offensive sign there. And I just, I just felt it was really joyful. 
really joyful. I'm so glad to hear it. I mean, yeah. this was something that uh, we had Jeannie Mancini on uh, on Friday ahead of the March uh-huh. on the show in our pregame show, which you joined us in uh, a few minutes after Jeannie. Um, one of the things that, that we talked about was just how important it is for us to get together yep. every year in that way, just to know that that we're not alone, that mm-hmm. that we're still here, we're still working to create a culture of life. You know, that, that mutual support and those shots in the arm when we see people, mm-hmm. and even when we're walking down the street with the camera, people yelling, you know, thanks for what you do. We love EW10. Thank you for your programming. Thank you for covering us, for us, for, for you, me, for all of us who, who work so hard every day to get the pro-life message out on radio and TV. That is really encouraging for us as well because sometimes we can feel all alone given what's happening in our culture and especially you and I know this as journalists, what's happening with the secular media. So that camaraderie is super important and that uplifting of each other, the masses, the different prayer services, all of it is encouraging one another that all across not only the country, because the March for Life in Washington is the biggest. We have, of course, the Walk for Life West Coast and One Life LA and others. But in in Washington in particular, it's international. One of the first groups up at the stage while I was on the riser waiting to go on was Argentina. They were there right in the front. It was just, it's really, really moving to see. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and just the, the different groups that are out there on the front lines making such a difference and helping women. Every single organization with whom I spoke was somehow involved in doing the exact opposite of what the pro boards say that we do or, or we don't do enough of, and that is help women. And all of us are out there doing that you know, with, every, with every woman for every child, and that's pretty obvious. So I thought it went really well. And at first I thought it was a lighter turnout, but then when I was doing my reporting from the Triangle along Constitution Avenue, yeah. it was going on and on and on. <laughs> then I saw the time lapse that Student um, for Life puts out of a year. Yeah. And it might have been just a little smaller, but there, there are well over 100,000 people there. From what I, I, That's just my guesstimate. But that's when I'm hearing that number. It might have even been bigger. Wow, wow, wow. It's awesome. It's awesome. And it's so encouraging to see year after year. And we're so grateful that you're willing to brave all of that cold and weather (laughs) to cover it for us every year. How many years now have you been doing that? Uh, Gosh, probably at least 15, I think, maybe longer. Um, I've been out there for quite a while. What it is, Annie, for me is I feel like it's a a purgation and that I owe this to the movement Mm -hmm. because when I was in the secular media, I was very pro-abortion. I was doing pro-abortion editorials. Imagine that. So if you're praying for your kids or for someone you know to, you know, turn around, look at me. I'm a perfect example that it could happen in a big way. And so I really feel this is my way to give back and counter all that negativity that I did in the secular media. So it's very personal. For me as well. And Deacon Dom. Deacon Dom, as you know, is a sidewalk counselor uh, in Detroit. So he was there with me and hid in the tent sometimes, and the weather got a little bit (laughs) (laughs) Because he could. But that's okay. He's out every weekend in the snow and the rain out at the abortion mills in Detroit. So I I let him uh, get a little bit of a break. But, yeah, so it was great. Well, T, we'll be tuned in to Catholic Connection today. And thanks so much for talking to us this morning. Sure. Go Lions. Go Lions. Have a great day. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. All right, it's uh, 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. 
and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 20 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has now dropped out of the GOP presidential race and has endorsed former President Trump, who will be going up against Nikki Haley in the New Hampshire primary tomorrow. Pope Francis is calling for the release of a group of people, including six religious sisters who have been kidnapped in Haiti. And the Holy Father yesterday during his Angelus address announced a year of prayer ahead of the 2025 Jubilee. Next newscast coming up at the bottom of the hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Marlon De La Torre from the Diocese of Columbus and his website, knowingisdoing.org. Hope you can stay with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. Winter mornings make you want to stay in bed. It's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Don Trannell of the Glenmary Home Missioners. Please join me in praying a Glenmary Community Mission Prayer. O loving Father, may your spirit guide our missionary service. Like Jesus, may we proclaim the reign of God is at hand. Like Peter, may we fall on our knees at the sight of your great catch. Like Paul, may we strive to share the gospel with all people. 
Like Isaac Jobs and companions, may we willingly sacrifice our lives in service to the people of rural America. O creator of all, give us the courage to leave the 99 and go after the lost one. Grant us the joy to rejoice over the found one. Compel us to care for the victims we find along the road. Move us to embrace the prodigals returning home. We ask this through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. going to take time and I will bring you someone who will bring true authentic justice mm. in my name and, and I think that's the other key of, about his loving goodness is like, like I, I love you however at the same time I will bring someone who will bring to fulfillment what you lost and, and this becomes yeah. the key uh, of how much he truly loves us and he says you will see him as you see me so we see this this beautiful interplay when, when we jump to John's gospel. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. It's a reference to Isaiah 53. So you see this whole beautiful promise that God makes for us that he will resuscitate us, but through this way, through this vein of life. And my goodness, that, that's just wonderful. Once you embrace it well, it's fantastic to see. Yeah. And I mean— is it just like, okay, here's Adam and Eve, here's the promise, and then God just goes and hides out for a while until the incarnation? Or, mm -hmm. you know, how do we see God working through all of those generations pointing us toward the incarnation? And, and that's the distinction there. So when you look at Abraham and we look at the, the whole interplay between him and Isaac and, and the primordial sacrifice, when you look at the fact of Jacob becoming Israel, when you look at this whole interplay of Moses or even the Passover meal, or you, you jump ahead if you want to look at Isaiah or if you want to look at 1 Samuel and, and this whole interplay of dialogue, there is a message that's always being presented. There is a premise behind uh, God's uh, love and the fact that he's saying, look, here I am follow me. And so he lays his pathway to the ultimate I am, meaning that his son, Jesus Christ, who assumed body and soul, who assumed a human nature, who said, whoever sees, and God tell, to, tells the apostles in John 14, if you see him, you see me. Now you know why I came, why I love you, why I want you to come back home. And the distinction is that, that Christ opens the gates of heaven. And, and that's the key for us, that he does not want to separate it from him. Yeah. Well, it's kind of nice to have the gift of the fullness of revelation, Marlon, but man, are mm. we just as difficult as all of those generations when it comes to accepting this gift that is God's love and mercy. But that's a whole other yeah. conversation for us to have at another time. In the meantime, encourage folks to go check out your post on this over at Knowing isdoing.org which listeners you can find linked in our show notes for today at sonrisemorningshow.com Marlon really appreciate the conversation thank you so much and go Bucks appreciate it Annie always go Bucks and you can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com click on the show notes for today um, they look a little different today because Matt's sick and so I don't know how to do all of the fancy stuff he does in the show notes, but you can at least, you know, find the links. S-O-N, risemorningshow.com.
half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the GOP race for the White House and is endorsing former President Trump. DeSantis made it official yesterday with a video posted on social media. The GOP race is now essentially a two-person battle between Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who served as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations during the Trump administration. Haley is hoping to receive a boost at the ballot box following DeSantis's decision to drop out of the race. The former South Carolina governor held a rally yesterday at a New Hampshire high school auditorium with television host Judge Judy Scheindlin. While Haley is still polling pretty far behind former President Trump in the polls, the DeSantis announcement yesterday seemed to energize her campaign just before tomorrow's primary in the Granite State. The Trump campaign has released a statement Following the endorsement of DeSantis, Mark Mayfield reports. The statement called the endorsement an honor, saying it is time for all Republicans to rally around the former president. It went on to say that Nikki Haley is the candidate of the globalists and Democrats who will do everything to stop the America First movement. DeSantis dropped out and endorsed former President Trump Sunday. He was considered a frontrunner early on, but finished a distant second in the Iowa caucus. I'm Mark Mayfield. Today is the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, overturned in 2022 by the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision. Vice President Kamala Harris is marking the anniversary by launching in Wisconsin a nationwide tour to advocate for pro-abortion state laws. The U.S. bishops have designated today as the Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children. Bishop Michael Burbage of Arlington released a statement saying, quote, we remain steadfast in our commitment to work for the legal protection of every human life from conception to natural death. This is a responsibility that we all must share, especially now when this very protection is being undermined, end quote. Pope Francis has called for the release of a group of people, including six religious sisters kidnapped in Haiti. He asked for their release during his Angelus address yesterday. He also prayed for peace in the country. Later made made reference to the recent violence in Ecuador, telling the crowd he was praying for peace in that country as well. The Holy Father also yesterday celebrated Mass in St. Peter's Basilica to mark the Sunday of the Word of God. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Lord's Word unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit, the Pope said, a power that draws people to God. That Word draws us to God and then sends us to others, the Pope explained, as it makes our hearts and minds grow, showing us new and exciting horizons of hope and love that we naturally wish to share with others. Pope explained how we, too, on our own shores of life, where we're occupied with the nets of our daily occupations, need to hear the Lord's call to set out with Him as missionaries, God's messengers and witnesses to a world drowning in words, yet thirsting for the very word it so often ignores. He said the Church lives from this dynamic, called by Christ and drawn to Him. She is sent into the world to bear witness to Him. Recalling how the saints down through the centuries opened their hearts and minds to God's Word, letting it touch them and renew their soul with the peace of Jesus and concern for others, the Pope suggested we too can be moved in a similar way if we stop being deaf to God's Word. 
La Domenica della Parola di Dio ci aiuti a tornare con gioia a In conclusion, the Pope suggested we look at our own lives and how much we make room for the Word of God in it. Do we read the Bible? Do we have a gospel nearby, in our pockets and purses, on our telephones? He encouraged everyone to read at least one of the four Gospels and to help the congregation present in St. Peter's Basilica, a Gospel of Mark was distributed to all. In conclusion, the Pope underscored that God is the author of beauty and he prayed that we might allow ourselves to be conquered by the beauty that the Word of God brings into our lives. And that is Jones. And after a big weekend in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, the championship games are set. Kansas City will visit Baltimore in the AFC, and San Francisco hosts Detroit in the NFC. That's the news. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. The Apostle Paul met a special couple on his first visit to Corinth. Their names were Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Already by the time Paul met them, they had been tested for their beliefs. They were among a number of people, probably members of one synagogue in Rome, forced to leave that city by order of Claudius the emperor because of some disturbance. The Apostle Paul may have been the one who nourished their yearning for the truth and bring them to baptism. Aquila and Priscilla must have had some resources because they had a house in their new location in Corinth and invited Paul to stay with them. Like Paul, they too worked with leather and were tent makers. But this couple had spiritual resources too. They took it upon themselves, for example, to instruct others who were less knowledgeable about the faith. They even opened their house to the church for prayer. And later, when they finally returned to Rome, they opened their house to the church there. This energetic couple serves as a model of faith for any generation of Christians. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. It's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study here on the Sunrise Morning Show using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. You can pick up a copy and study along with us through ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. We're back with Dr. Andrew Swafford, one of the contributors to the guide. Dr. Swafford, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. So today we are going to be talking about the book of Sirach. And I'm going to grab my Bible here because there is this interesting prologue at the beginning. It says, whereas many great teachings have been given to us through the law and the prophets and the others that followed them on account of which we should praise Israel for instruction and wisdom. And since it is necessary, not only that the readers themselves should acquire understanding, but also that those who love learning 
should be able to help the outsiders by both speaking and writing. My grandfather Jesus, after devoting himself especially to the reading of the law, goes on from that grandfather Jesus. What? <laughs> What's this all about? Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, the, our Lord's name, Jesus, uh, was a fairly common uh, you know, Jewish nickname. So Joshua, uh, Yehoshua, or you might hear Yeshua, uh, the more Aramaic version. So yeah, here's, a, here's another Jesus in the Bible. Uh, this comes from his grandfather, and it's and he tells us in the prologue he's translating his grandfather's work, and um, that's why often in scholarly uh, works this this work will be known as Ben Sira. Ben means son, so son of Sirach. Um Yeah, so here's a, here's another here's another another Jesus. Okay, so what would you say is the overarching theme of the Book of Sirach? Gosh, you know, you can kind of feel it from this prologue that um, just the notion of, you know, for your Star Wars lovers out there, uh, Jedi, the, the, the notion that, you know, you someone has submitted themselves um, to a greater tradition and has mastered that tradition and now is going to be creative in their own contribution. That's kind of what you have here. So Tirek, in some ways, it's the last of the wisdom books. It's kind of a summation of the wisdom book. So when you think about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Wisdom of Solomon, the Psalms, uh, it sort of all kind of comes to a head here. Um, and it's, it, it, again, it's, it's someone who is sat at the feet of the biblical tradition, but now is kind of creatively combining, synthesizing, and, and it's at the human level, right? The Holy Spirit is working through this. Um, and uh, what, we, what we have here is, is, a, is a translation of that, um, grandfather named Jesus, uh, his work, and and kind of, and you you'll, you get um, kind of a combination of so wisdom is very much universal. When you read Proverbs, it's about fear the Lord, justice, righteousness, take care of the poor, the widows, the orphans, things like that, and it doesn't focus as much on Israelite specific concerns. And you kind of get a combination with Sirach, where you've got this universality of wisdom, but then especially at the chapter twenty four, how wisdom dwells in Zion, in the temple, in Israel's Torah, and so the particularity of what was revealed to ancient Israel is this universal wisdom for all mankind. That's interesting. It's kind of like the Jewish version of faith and reason. Exactly. That's exactly right. I like it. So uh, this book, like the other wisdom books, doesn't have like a narrative structure, characters that we need to know, um, other than, of course, the writer. But Again, as as we've been seeing, as we've been going through the wisdom literature in this Old Testament Bible study, um, there are, are big chunks or sections that you can kind of pick out and see sort of, a, I don't know, a progression, if you will. So can you take us through those in the book of Sirach? Yeah, I mean, so like you said, you get a lot of like the kind of two-line um, you know, sayings and wisdom sayings, and it's about life, and you get you know, things about friendship, you get um, eventually you get things about family life and honoring your parents and, um, you know, with, with marriage and things like that. So, so I mean, in some ways, the, the turn is chapter 24. That's really kind of one of the most famous chapters. Um, so you, you might look at, you know, up to, one, up to 23 and then 24, um, really through 43, um, is, is going to kind of move in this similar direction. And then 44 to 50, uh, if you've read Hebrews 11, this kind of Old Testament Hall of Fame, Sirach 44 <laughs> to 50 is sort of about this. It, 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 I mean, really, Hebrews 11 is kind of drawing from this section here, uh, this kind of all these Old Testament heroes and just kind of this, this, this you know, this life of faith that's been lived for a long time is sort of a, an exemplar for what uh, the, the author is calling, to, uh, calling for us now. 
Yeah, this is so interesting to me because we've seen this in other books of the Bible, too, where there is this, as uh, as it's written in, in this guide, a sweeping vista of salvation history. What what is the theme of wisdom that that gets threaded throughout salvation history when you're looking looking at it through through the correct lens? Yeah, I mean, when you when you think if you think in terms of um, you know if the Sabbath is a sanctuary in time and the temple is a sanctuary in space and and the Torah is a sanctuary of Torah means instruction. It's really it's wisdom, right? So it, it's sort of from the beginning. There's this this plan for God to dwell with us in the garden, uh, to sanctify space and time, and sin disrupts that. But it's all about bringing that back, bringing that back. And in some ways, the Old Testament narrative reaches a high point with Solomon in the temple, with the nations coming and God dwelling in the temple. Uh, it's all about the recovery of that. And you look at Jesus, he is wisdom incarnate. He is the new and living temple. He is the Torah incarnate. Uh, and it's, it's through Jesus that we enter not only eternity, but, but even in time, uh, liturgically, we enter the new creation. So when someone is reading through this, um, what what sort of what are the the big themes that you would encourage them to keep in mind as as they go through the book of Sirach? Well, it, it's kind of common to the wisdom tradition. Wisdom is about life. It's about the art of living. Uh, it, it's it, biblical wisdom. Uh, it's not <clears throat> overly abstract, right? So it's, its foundation is fear of the Lord. You'll see fear of the Lord as the foundation of wisdom in, in basically all the wisdom books. Um, it's about living with righteousness. Um, it's about family life. It's about kind of, yeah, the, and Benedict used to use this phrase, the art we've lost, the art of living. So that's what virtue is all about, really, are the skills to live life with excellence, to fulfill our relationships, to be kind of a champion in the little things. That really is the nuts and bolts of what wisdom is all about. And, and, and it'll just have these, you know, reflections on death. Remember your death. Kind of the memento mori that's uh, mm-hmm. famous. You see that in Sirach, that if you keep your eyes on the end, it'll keep you on track. Um, so that's, I mean, in some ways, you can look at the wisdom tradition at a human level as sort of the accumulation of this this accumulated wisdom over the centuries, um, but this is the Lord, and the, the Bible is, is like Jesus. It's human and divine. And I think we have a temptation to either want to just focus on the divinity or just the humanity, but it's really this, this synthesis that's really at home in the humility of the biblical narrative that is, at the one hand, so kind of human and natural and kind of earthy, but at the same time, it's it's the Lord working through that. And just as in the Incarnation, if you would have, you know, given... Um, you know, open the Lord's heart, you would not have seen divine cells, right? He would have looked all too human at times to be divine, but we know the truth that the the infinite God was born in a manger. Yeah, and I find it really beautiful that the, the final chapter, this sort of epilogue to the book of Sirach, ends with a, a todah psalm, a psalm of yes. thanksgiving, because really wisdom, the heart of wisdom um, in many ways, is is gratitude to God. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then Todah is, I mean, that's, that's, that's what the whole biblical spirituality is really about. I mean, the, the Todah sacrifice, you're suffering, you cry out, you're delivered, you remember, and you give thanks and praise. And how often do we forget what the Lord has done for us? And even the very end of it, the, the put your neck under the yoke. Uh, think about the, the words from our Lord in Matthew eleven twenty seven about my, my yoke 
is is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is alluding back to these passages here in Sirach. Um, and this, yeah, this is this is what it's all about. The Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. So we're kind of entering into this Thanksgiving sacrifice of our Lord, the Paschal Mystery. And this is what happens at Mass, but it's what our life is really about. Amen to that. We've been talking to Dr. Andrew Swafford. The book is called A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. You can find it at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament, or just find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Andrew, thank you so much. We'll look forward to talking to you again next time. You bet. God bless. You too. Thank you very much. Coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Stephanie Mann will join us to talk about what Mass was like in England during the time that Mass was outlawed. It's pretty incredible, some of the stuff in Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors. We'll talk about it next. It's 13 Till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Comboni as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The Inspired by Faith podcast features Emily and Michelle of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference interviewing inspirational Catholic leaders to refresh your soul and strengthen your faith. A production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You can hear Inspired by Faith as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com radio and click Podcast Central today. Hi, this is Cy Kellett later today on Catholic Answers Live. Carla Broussard with the wise of Catholic belief. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the GOP race for president and is endorsing former President Trump. Today is the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade. The U.S. bishops have designated it as the day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. And Pope Francis has called for a year of prayer ahead of the 2025 Jubilee.
You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Stephanie Mann back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Go read her blog over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Good morning, Stephanie. Are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Stephanie, good morning. Okay. We're, we're continuing yeah. our series uh, based on Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's mementos of the English martyrs and confessors from Sophia Institute Press. And we're not looking at a particular martyr or confessor right. today, sort of a general experience of Catholics during the time of the penal laws. What were the penal laws? Yes. Well, penal laws were those laws that, that had been passed in England, and there are various iterations of them. But basically what they came down to is that a Catholic priest was not allowed to be in the country, especially if he's an Englishman returning, and Catholics were not allowed to attend mass. They had to attend English Anglican services, Church of England services, and uh, if they didn't, they would be fined. Hmm. And as those laws kind of increased in, in uh penalties uh if you attended mass you could be arrested and and tried as and convicted of of a kind of a heresy against the english church and executed so both the priest was in danger and the recusant catholics was in great danger so these visits that priests made to houses of catholics to offer mass and give and the sacraments were fraught with danger, but also you can tell from the way this uh, missionary priest writes to someone describing his experiences or the general experience is they were met with tremendous fervor and zeal and desire. They, these wow. pe- pe- Catholics were, I, I use the word there, they were hungry for the, yes. the sacraments. They were hungry, especially for this experiencing the, the sacrifice and participating in the sacrifice of the mass. It's so inspiring really gives you chills this this entry as you say a letter of a missionary priest we don't know who that priest is and i know you you tried to do some digging to find out the Mm -hmm. source of this letter and couldn't couldn't quite find it but nonetheless um just an incredible recounting of the priest's experience here why don't you tell us about how a priest would go about being able to celebrate mass in someone's home. Yeah. Well, he would, as he, the letter describes, he comes to the house and he may be, indeed, he may be a stranger. They may not have seen this priest. He may be new on the circuit. The last one may have been executed. So who knows, or had to go into exile. So they greet him. He immediately gives them his blessing. They, 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 take him to, they take him to a room that they have prepared as an oratory. In other words, they have it set up for mass. They have hidden all everything that's hidden usually out for his use and he immediately gives them a blessing and then he has to remind them i have to leave tomorrow i can't stay this is going to be a short visit uh and so then they all prepare for confession because they all want him to hear their confessions who knows when they'll have another opportunity for it and then uh, the next morning he celebrates mass for them they all receive holy communion then it's interesting, he kind of gives this detail that he preaches. He probably gives more of an exhortation, and maybe there's some update about what, what's going on in, in the Catholic world outside England. And then he gives them their blessing, 
and then he he leaves and he goes on to the next house or or whatever and there is a mention here of the the catholic association which we discussed covered one time when we uh looked at the career life and career of george gilbert who was a young catholic gentleman and these were men who helped priests leading them to the different uh uh houses that they the safe houses that they were going to and so it was and and then there's this detail i thought that was particularly interesting for us to think of in our day if the mass does not last nearly an hour many are discontented they wow. want to dwell in this uh, sacrifice this... and in this this mass they want it and yeah. they, they they don't want it to end i think is what he's saying is they really don't want it to end and if they if there's going to be a gathering of priests, and again, I think this would probably be these. He made this might be a Jesuit priest when they're speaking about this. They would stay for each mass, even though they can't receive Holy Communion more than once. They would stay for each mass because, again, this is their opportunity to receive, the, to participate in that sacrifice, and to celebrate, be, be Catholics. Basically, yeah. is what what there is well it's so such a convicting the, point yeah, you bring it you is. bring this up at at your blog um reflecting on on this point that they they just so desired to be there in that i mean you think of what it must have felt like in those times yes. to to be deprived of the mass and and not only just deprived of it but having you know putting your life at stake in order to yes attend this mass and you were reflecting on it in light of of covid when when mass right. was taken away from us for for a time and you know stephanie i'm not sure if i missed mass as much as i should have when i read something like this i mean yes, i missed mass don't get me wrong but right oh my gosh when i look at the way that they embraced the holy sacrifice of the mass when they were able to to attend I don't think I was grateful enough when when mass returned yeah. after COVID. That's true. I know that. Yeah, I remember the day that that I was at the cathedral and, and the announcement was made that this would be the last mass for some time. It 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 was a shock to me. It, 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 you're right. It was such a shock. And then to endure the lack of the mass was one thing. But then yes, when it came back. To, great, to have that fervor that these recusant Catholics had had. And also, I think there's a point that, that, that when Father Bowden was writing this, there were probably Catholics who had heard of their grandparents going through this, especially yeah. if they were from Ireland, because that was so even true. more recent. Yeah. It, it is. It's a wonderful, wonderful meditation on how much we should value our sacraments Most and how grateful definitely. we should be to our priests and to the structures that we have and the freedom that we have. Amen to that. Go read Stephanie's blog post over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Pick up a copy of Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's book as well. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. Have a good week. You too. Thank you. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.